and we're going now to London to Rob Hugh-Jones from BBC World. Good morning, Rob. Yes, good evening, Karen. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, let's start in Italy, shall we? Uh, Italy went to the polls on Sunday and uh, far-right leader Giorgia Meloni is now Italy's premier-elect, I think would be the right term. So what does it mean for Italy and, and Europe? Well, it's interesting. Giorgia Maloney is uh, 45 years old. She's, the, she's going to be the first prime minister, female prime minister of Italy. Italy is the third largest economy in the European Union, uh, a, a country of some 61 million people, which puts it on a par with, say, the UK, for example, roughly population wise. So it's uh, it's it's an inter- you know any election in Italy and we've had so many of them of course in the in the in the last few decades and so on but any election is is of interest for that very reason just for the simple size and power of Italy However, this one is particularly interesting because not only is the first female prime minister coming along, but uh, somebody who is running or uh, leads a a party called Brothers of Italy and is considered to be very far right on the political spectrum. So, for example, Giorgia Maloney uh, is anti-mass migration into Italy. She wants a naval blockade of Libya on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea to stop people from actually embarking from North Africa and the Middle East to Europe in the first place. Uh, She is against LGBT rights and sees the sort of traditional family as the only family. You know, she is definitely right of the spectrum. And her partners in government will be Berlusconi, we all know about him from the past, and Salvini, a man very well known for turning away migrant boats from Italy and having a very right-wing view of the world generally. So this is why Europe is uh, uh, watching all this with a bit of trepidation. Uh, uh, it's very noticeable that you know Marine Le Pen's party in France has congratulated uh, Giorgia Maloney. Uh, the Vox party, very far right in Spain, has done the same. The far right government of Viktor Orban in Hungary, the same, and in Poland as well. And you know, at a time when Europe is trying to stick together and be unified against President Putin, for example, the last thing it wants is political division. And that's why all of this has been watched quite carefully. Did she win by a big margin? She'd won by a a sizable margin. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, back in the the previous election, she got, her party got 4%. Uh, She's now got about a quarter of the vote. And uh, collectively with the other parties in her coalition is somewhere up near, what, 45%, something like that. Um, so, yeah, quite, quite, a reasonable, quite a reasonable number of votes. To Ukraine, because there are also elections going on in Ukraine, or rather referendums, uh, in which people under Russian occupation are being asked to say whether they want to join Russia or stay Ukrainian. So another big week in Ukraine, Rob. Absolutely. And actually, the really interesting news that's come out in the last hour or two is not about those referendums. It is about the partial mobilization of uh, young men in particular in Russia to go and fight in Ukraine, something we've heard quite a bit about. Uh, President Putin said he wanted up to 300,000 um, men to join the forces and to go and defend Russia's front line, which is about 600 miles long in Ukraine. Well, interestingly, we see this morning that some 100,000 people have now crossed the border in south into Kazakhstan, a former Soviet republic, since that order was made by Putin, which just underlines how many people are trying to get out of the country and therefore not 
uh, get themselves into that draft, as it's been called. Uh, this is also happening on the border with Georgia, with Finland, with Mongolia. In other words, there's an exodus of people trying to avoid being drafted to go and fight in Ukraine. That's quite an interesting development. And in terms of those referendums, yes, there are four going on in Ukraine, two in the north, uh, and sorry, in the east, and two in the south. And we should see results of those uh, this week. So it could well be that the Kremlin announces the annexation of another 15, 1-5% of Ukraine this week and says this is now Russian soil. So if you send your missiles to try and win back this land, you will be effectively sending missiles into Russia effectively. And that will put a whole new light on this war. So a lot going on in Ukraine this week for sure. And Britain, of course, just held the state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. And in Japan this coming week, a state funeral's there for the former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. But it's controversial, but why? It's controversial because some people didn't agree with Shinzo Abe on a number of uh, matters. So, you know, when he was shot in July at this campaign event, there was an outpouring of shock, of course, because this is a country not used to political violence or gun violence. And uh, there was affection for him and uh, sympathy, of course, for him and his family and so on. Um, But actually scratch the surface a bit and you see that there are quite a lot of people in Japan who had reservations about Shinzo Abe as prime minister. Uh, His abonomics, his particular view of how the economy should work, his reinterpretation of what's known as Article 9, which is Japan's pacifist constitution, that upset quite a few people. He was more nationalist. He wanted to flex Japan's muscles more on the international stage. That uh, upset some. Uh, Even his links with or perceived links with the Moonies, for example, upset some. But, you know, the biggest protest we've seen today outside of his funeral today uh, are people who are upset about the cost of this state funeral, which newspapers in Japan say is more or will be more than the cost of the Queen's state funeral here in Britain. And they think that's a bit of an issue. And on the subject of royalty, I saw Charles's new insignia today. What do you think of it? Yes, just been lo- just been looking at it, at it actually. Oh, it looks quite good, I think. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think he had various different designs to choose from, and he's gone with that. Um, so yeah, it looks it looks uh, quite majestic. Looks I very say. regal. Yes, it does. And uh, there's going to be a lot of money that's going to have to be changed. That's right. So at the moment, the Royal Mint here says there are 27 billion coins with Queen Elizabeth's image on them in circulation at the moment. So that's going to be an awful lot of coins that slowly, slowly work their way through the system and new coins with Charles's image on them will gradually, gradually replace them over time, although we'll be able to use both for a very long time to come. But, you know, there's all kinds of ways in which this new cipher is going to be displayed. One interesting one is on our post boxes. People might remember those red post boxes all over Britain. And if you look at them closely, you know, some of them have got Victoria's um, cipher on them, some of them Edward VII, some of them George V, some of them George VI. Those will not be changed. They will stay the way they are. But any new post boxes will have Charles's cipher on them. And so he will join the ranks of our various monarchs on our post boxes. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, thank you very much, Rob. Good to talk to you this morning, as it is with you. 
Thanks so much. That's Rob Hugh-Jones from BBC World.